the Rotary Club of Edmonton West, on behalf of its entire district, invite you to dream, connect, and inspire at the District 5370 Conference in October. There's a number of stellar speakers, both local and international, are sharing their stories at this conference. Among them is Stephanie Willard, a social entrepreneur from Australia who founded Seven Women her not-for-profit provides training and employment for women with disabilities in Nepal, helping more than 5,000 people find meaningful work. The conference is open to the general public. It will also attract Rotarians from all over Western Canada and the world, which means you'll be in a room with some of the kindest and most community-minded people around. So, come to the Shaw Conference Center in Edmonton from October 18th to the 20th. You can learn more at conference. 5370-2018.ca That's conference 5370-2018.ca I'll put it in the show notes. There's a video there that will tell you more and we'll link the site on the notes so you don't you know where to go. Hopefully see you there. Okay, I'm a beer guy. I love beer. I love trying new beer. And I love going to the store and seeing different kinds of beer and just looking at the label and saying, oh, I really want to try this. So, yeah, I'm a beer guy. And I think my love of beer has come from this recent boom of uh, local craft beers, you know, not only here in Alberta, but around the world. And I, I kind of wanted to check more about this, you know, like um, see what's going on here in Edmonton. And luckily for me, the Alberta Podcast Network, which is powered by TV, as you know, has a new podcast called Blue in the Face, which deals with that awesome local um, culture here in Edmonton and Alberta. So it deals with culture, food, and music. Their last episode is all about the local beer explosion here in Alberta. And you can check out this episode and more through the podcast network at albertapodcastnetwork.com. It's again, albertapodcastnetwork.com. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Modern Manhood, presented by Next Gen Men. I hope you didn't miss me. I, I know that I recently spoke to you last week uh, when we started our combos conversation. So this is this is cool. This is back to the regular schedule. Uh, this is Modern Manhood, presented by Next Gen Men, an exploration of modern masculinity and the way it shapes us in the modern world. I'm your host, as always, I'm Ruby Jagas. Modern Manhood is part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATV and is supported and helped out by the wonderful people at Next Gen Men, a nonprofit dedicated to bringing healthy masculinity with youth programs, business work, and groups. We're also supported by getting some Modern Manhood t-shirts. And I know I saw some people buying some shirts lately. So thank you, thank you, thank you. That means a lot to me. And also, I would love to know who you are. So if you could please tag me in a picture of you wearing some of that swag, man, that would mean the world to me. You can tag me. You can go on Twitter at Modern Man Pod. Oh, you can do it on Instagram at Modern Man Pod as well. Please do so. That would that would be so so awesome. Michael Rowley is a filmmaker from Dallas, Texas, who made a film about Palestinian youths, specifically who do parkour. The movie is called Hurdle. Now, what is interesting to me is not so much that last sentence that I said 
uh, you know, Michael Rowley's filmmaker from Dallas, Texas, who made a film about Palestinian youth, specifically who do parkour. That there's a lot to break down in that sentence, and it can be unpacked in so many ways. But what is interesting to me is the man, Michael Rowley. Now, Michael, born in Texas, a place as idealistic as I can find living outside of it, as much as I don't know anything about Texas, I know a lot about Texas. You know what I mean? It's a place that screams guns, Catholicism, religion, and trucks. It's funny because it's not so different than Alberta, to be honest. Michael went on to film a movie about one of the most divisive areas in the world, Palestine. Now, Palestine seems to me almost like a dimension away. A place where there is constant conflict, but no one is allowed to speak about it. Because it's, it's like minefield of politics. Yet people live there. Young men live there. They know about Western life. And they also know what's going on in their own place. And they wanted to try something modern like parkour. You know, I personally don't have any opinion on what's going on over there. Because to be fair, I, I don't really know enough. I, I don't. And I feel like even if I did, I would not feel comfortable in saying anything about it. I don't know. I don't feel it's my place. So I wanted to talk to Michael about this. And I wanted to talk to how a person from Dallas, Texas, goes into one of the most combative places in the world and comes out with a movie about kids and parkour. And we spoke for a while, as we always do. Um... So we split this into two because I, I wanted to spend time with the movie, which I think is really cool and interesting. And I also wanted to um, get my questions answered specifically about uh, the kids and parkour in Palestine. Um, but I also wanted to know the man behind the lens as well. And I wanted to spend a little bit more time with Michael. And you'll hear about that in the second part. So from now on, please get a chance to get accustomed with Michael Rowley and the movie Hurdle. Michael, thank you so much for uh, for allowing me to talk to you about uh, about yourself and about um, this movie that you've made, and because uh, it, it's you know from from the email that I got from uh, from one of our past guests, uh, Rimoy, um, you know, he mentioned about this uh, this filmmaker who had this who had this film about uh, about parkour um, and about these kids over in the in the in the Middle East and about in Palestine, um, and I sure. and I looked at the at the trailer and I was like, this is, this is kind of fascinating. And this is fascinating in the sense that of the, all the juxtapositions of how, um, you know, these people are. And, uh, I, you know, this is, it, it's kind of cool to think about this. So first of all, why did you want to create, um, Hurdle, which is the title of the movie? Why did I want to create it? I guess it's kind of a long story as most things are. Yeah. Um, I, I was, do you, would you read the long story or would you rather have the short? That's the question. Give me give me the long story. Why not? Okay. So I was kind of born and raised in a conservative, evangelical Christian environment in a small town in Texas. And I don't know if you're familiar with like American politics but uh, <laughs> or evangelicalism, but it's almost like a token that you support the state of Israel and all of its decisions. Mm -hmm. As an evangelical, that's a way you can get evangelicals to vote for you. Right. For instance, um, so I was very much just like raised in this environment that said anything and everything we need to support what this state does. And 
just as I grew up and started questioning not only like my religious beliefs, but just social and political things, um, I started looking into this conflict, which I had always honestly kind of, uh, labeled Palestinians as the enemy. You know, mm. they, they're, they're not our ally. And as I investigated more of like what their experience was, um, the types of, um, restrictions placed on them, but also human rights issues that they're facing. Um, I decided I wanted to tell a story about these people living in this place. So um, it's almost, Hurdle is almost like a message to myself when I was 16 or 17 to be like, look at these young men who are living in this very difficult and challenging situation and look how you could relate to them. Um, try and understand their experience and then make decisions moving forward about how you interact with them. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's interesting you say that about, um, you know, the, the ideologies around the, in the U S specifically. Um, like I think I feel a little privileged when, when I'm in Canada, especially yeah, in Edmonton. <laughs> you know, we still have our own like like political divides and uh, sure. and I uh, specific ideology too. But I feel like you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm making an assumption here. Um, and in the in the U.S., that um, ideology plays a very big part into who you are. And uh, you know, there's there's these very strict confines as to how you have to be. Uh, much more so than it would be maybe in Canada or maybe in other places. If, if, if for instance, like, um, you were raised a certain religion or you're raised in a state, um, that, you know, like, like Texas or like, sure. um, like California even, uh, which may be a little bit different, um, that you have to kind of personify a Texan identity or a Californian identity. And that is, you know, it's hard for you to move to another place and say, well, this person is a Texan, therefore they're so this and this and this and that. We put ourselves into categories for sure. And there's almost like a checklist of things that you're supposed to fall in line with. And, you know, and it's difficult to step out of that. It's difficult to question it. You can be um, ostracized by your community or hopefully you can be insightful to your own community. But and the film is also very much about that. Like, what does it mean to be labeled Palestinian? Right. Is it, is, is whenever you think, whenever you hear Palestinian, many people that I've talked to about this film or immediate question is, Oh, did you feel safe or <laughs> were you afraid? And it's like, so the word and the label Palestinian comes with this unhealthy and inaccurate stereotype that these people are just inherently violent. Right. And uh, that they they should be feared. You can't can't really expect what's coming next from them. It's just they're less than human, almost like animal, like you just don't know how they're going to react. And that's the exact kind of like mentality and stereotype that I'm trying to break with this film. Yeah. I really want to reveal some of the depths and layers to their personalities, like... Um, the depths and layers to their masculinity is a big thing as well. Just show that like we're all human, and if we're put into situations like this, how would we react? And luckily, I found some really amazing and profound reactions to some very difficult situations. So yeah, that's kind of the goal of Hurdle. 
no and i think that's really that's really cool and and it's like even watching the trailer like the first the first image of the trailer is the uh, is the boys praying um and it's it's interesting because it gives you a reaction right away like i even yeah. noticed it in myself <laughs> like that right. i was like this is a specific type of reaction when you see uh people praying that's not like you know your <laughs> your catholic <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> right you're like a christian yeah. catholic or whatever it is um so it's like <laughs> it unfortunately we have that stereotype and it's such a it's so powerful to see it like as the first shot of this trailer to say like there's a specific identity that they 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 have on themselves and that's that we're trying to break out of what what it actually means to be um the, a Palestinian or even a young man in Palestine which is yeah. also another I'm assuming this is that's another part of the that's another theme in in your movie is how like being a young man in Palestine right yes absolutely and I'm glad you picked up on that in the trailer not very many people have said that or like verbalized it to me but that's exactly what I was trying to do it's just kind of set you up to you're going to have a reaction to that opening shot and by the end of the trailer you're going to be amped up about those same people that you had maybe a negative reaction about at the very beginning yeah but yeah the film does i mean it follows two young men living on either side of the Israeli separation wall. Mm -hmm. And it's not only about parkour. It's for the, the young man that lives in the West Bank actually does uh, photography and filmmaking. And so it's kind of about their creative response in the face of these restrictions that they live under. But what comes with that is, yeah, it, it investigates their masculinity, um, how they interact with their peers. Uh, there's a brotherhood that kind of surfaces, especially with it being a, a Muslim-majority mm -hmm. uh, community. Uh, young men, that's kind of all they have. You know, they, ha they hang out with one another, and dating and courting is very different than it is here in the U.S., and so right. are social gatherings. So oftentimes it's very much just like a group of, like, 20 young men hanging out. And so... It was really interesting for me to investigate how how they interact with one another and just like what their experience is as young men. Right. And in regards to the interaction that they have, like you you mentioned, um, was there anything surprising? Was there anything that you found uh, different than than maybe something that you didn't expect uh, from these young guys? I kind of went into it with an open mind and very little Arabic <laughs> in, in my repertoire, so. When they, I, I had a translator some of the time, but most of the time it was me kind of as a fly on the wall. So I got to be really observant and just trying to read body language and trying to understand situations without actually knowing what people are saying, which was really interesting. Mm -hmm. But um, I would say what was really interesting or maybe surprising to me was, you know, it's a conflict area and life is very unpredictable. And with that comes a level of like you have your walls up, and not to use a pun. Yeah. But they when when I first met them, it was very much like wary and not not so sure about what they thought of me. But slowly, as I built trust and relationship with them, they let me into more and more access into their lives. And what that revealed was like they've had to have like a tough and callous exterior just because of what life has kind of brought their way. 
Yeah. But as as you get as you get past that, there's a really um, beautiful and uh, surprising level of intimacy that they share with one another mm. as as young men that I didn't experience growing up in the U.S. It was very much sometimes like a macho, you know, these constructs that we kind of create for ourselves, like uh, how we need to act and who we need to be. But with them, there's a there's just an intimacy, like they're not afraid of physical touch. Mm. They rely on one another, like they'll rest their heads on each other's chests, which is just something that's, you know, mind-blowing to a, a young American teenager if they were to do that yeah. um, and not be questioned in your sexuality or orientation, whatever. But these young men, I don't know, we they walk hand in hand or like, link arms it was just a, a beautiful thing to see that they really consider one another family and rely on one another not only for just friendship and fun but for emotional uh support as well yeah and that's that's a good point and uh i think that's that that runs really well through you know the theme of our of our podcast here is about um these different views of uh of masculinity and the way that um you know that that's portrayed in different places in the world and uh it's it's interesting you say that about about the Palestinian youth being uh, having no problem to have these uh these connections of touch and for them I feel like it's yeah. something that's really normal it's just like never been questioned because I'm assuming that sure. has been done historically throughout their lives sure. um, do you feel that they you know for even though this stuff is kind of normal for them do you feel that they are also st stuck in this kind of construct of mask of different type of masculinity with them I don't want to speak for them, but, mm -hmm. um, which is a difficult thing whenever you're, I can speak to what I observe. Yeah, that's, that's fair. That's <laughs> um, totally fair. Yeah, I've, I've, I know you said like things are a minefield. <laughs> and I just uh, always want to be very careful about talking about someone other, someone yeah, else's experience. You know but, what? And it's, I totally me, understand that. Well, and if we want to skip over this question, we totally can. I mean, there are different constructs of masculinity in their culture. Um, uh, not all Palestinians are Muslim. There are some Christians and non-religious, etc. But uh, I would say, and I'm observed in the Muslim culture that there is an expectation on you as a man to uh, not only be the breadwinner, but just mm. the patriarch. Um, people have in within the family dynamic, people have their roles, and um, like whenever I would go to their houses, for instance. Like the mother and sister would immediately start cooking very hospitable culture and they would just keep feeding you, keep bringing in coffee and tea. But it was always the females. Right. And whenever I would pick up a plate to go wash it, it was almost like, oh, please don't do that. Like it's almost offensive, which I, I appreciate. I understand that they're trying to take care of me and the hospitality of everything. Right. Um, and at the same time, I talked with one of the main characters, and he was talking to me about just, like, expectations for marriage. So yeah. this was interesting, and this might be helpful or insightful. I was married at 21, which is very young, mm -hmm. and I we were in college and dirt poor. We had, like, a 450-square-foot apartment. And although, like, my wife's parents weren't, like, super thrilled about all everything that came with that they accepted it and were supportive and have been ever since yeah but so whenever i told sammy who's one of the characters about like my experience in marriage he was just blown away because 
as a man in Palestine or a Muslim man, you have to have three years of salary saved. You have to have your house mm. paid for before you ever even go to her father right. and ask for permission. So there, there's a lot of stress and uh, pressure put on these young men if they want to marry. Yeah. No, that's a that's a really interesting point because I feel like that you could even find that in a lot of different places and not just even in, in, in Palestine. I feel like like, you know, I, I come from I'm South American, for instance, and uh, okay. I, <clears throat> you know, I I understand that that pressure to be married and also have that pressure of being the breadwinner, um, you know, and I feel like a lot of a lot of young even you all guys in general i feel in north america have that pressure to be that the breadwinner um right i i speak to a lot of guys and especially in 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 uh in therapeutical circles and that that pressure is definitely there so i mean that that's interesting how um that specific type of uh of of traditional views of masculinity are are played out in different places um and it's definitely a way where we can connect that too right that's it's it's not just like it's not one is better than another. It's it's just different. You know right. what I mean? It's yeah, it's like yeah. um I I really connect to that. That's really that's really interesting. Um Yeah, it it was interesting for me because it like sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. No, 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 please. It was uh you know, going into it and especially coming from I'm more liberal progressive on the left leaning in the US and you know Things like women should, I believe that women should have every right to do everything that a man does. But then whenever I was in Palestine, I was very much like trying to be respectful of the roles that they have set up. Right. But it's interesting and it's a gray area of like, what is considered repression or oppression? And what is just considered beauty of difference in culture? I don't know. It's just yeah. very interesting for no. me to uh, observe and try and figure out in my head <laughs> yeah no that's that's a that's a really interesting observation i appreciate you saying that um i also want to go back to this idea of uh of emotions and uh and because you mentioned that a couple times about how these young men ex uh, display emotionality or display affection um sure and i'm curious and maybe this is a, a little more personal question for you but um how does that differ from maybe how you would express or how you've seen other people express in the U.S. or in other places that are more Western? Sure. I've, I've actually thought about this quite a bit just in the past week or so, and I can't remember what conversation sparked it. But, um, you know, they are more open in, in talking about and expressing their emotions, like both physically and verbally. Uh, for me personally, it's you, you, I tend to have a guard up to where I'm, I'm not going to express how I'm feeling or who I am to someone unless I understand that it's a safe place. Mm -hmm. And that might be just due to my history or cultural, societal pressures, whatever. But I think for me personally, the places that I'm most vulnerable are in, is in my artwork and my creative endeavors. So mm -hmm. like this film is very much like a vulnerable uh, expression of who I am and my emotions and what I feel and what I value and what kind of person I want to be in the world, what kind of statement that I want to make. And it's a very vulnerable and anxiety producing thing to put yourself out there through creativity, through artwork, 
and just allow people the space to judge or um, criticize or champion. You yeah. Know? Because very, so much of who you are goes into work like this. No kidding. Uh, no kidding. Yeah, you know better than anyone. I'm sure. <laughs> well, I mean, you're doing just, this week in and week out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, it's, you know, you don't, I don't do pick, I don't do films or write my, I, I feel like what you, what you do as a documentarian or even as a, as a filmmaker is like, I don't know, I, I totally, I understand that that's way more, to me anyways, it feels way more vulnerable because you are putting a piece of yourself into your work. Sure. Oh, well, at least I'm behind the camera. You're in front of the microphone every time. So we'll just keep patting each other's back. <laughs> I mean, you have to, uh, you're held accountable for everything that you say. At least I can express myself and some viewpoints through the experience of others and hopefully, uh, tell an interesting story of someone else's experience. Right. Right. But, uh, it, yeah, I think like it's, it sounds silly, but, I'll be editing and just like be extremely moved by like something that I'm editing that I shot that I'm well aware happened, but mm. it it's almost like a very cathartic experience to totally like, see it come together and uh, not just I'm not talking about the accomplishment of it, but um, I don't know. It was just a very moving experience. I I totally understand that. I feel that's a that's really that's a really cool statement and. Uh, I feel you're right. Like there, unfortunately, in what I feel, this is I'm making a general broad statement here. Um, but sure. like it's the way that a lot of people in in North America or even in uh, Western cultures that the way that we express our emotions is through other means sometimes. And like you even mentioned with this podcast too. Yeah, this is kind of a way for me to to express my own emotions in a in a in, in some sort of constructive manner. Um, sure. But it's for you know, like when you're talking about these young men, um, you know, holding hands or just or being free to express their their compassion with each other. And even on camera is like that takes a little little level of courage. Um, yes, it and, does. Absolutely. Yeah. And I I I even mention it to my guests, too. It's just like like when when you're uh, when you're opening up and feeling vulnerable, even in something like this, which is very public, uh, it's it's a it's a really it's just a it's just a leap of it's a leap of courage and, and I guess maybe that's like the the metaphor of of the film too and a metaphor of parkour <laughs> uh, yeah, where they're just definitely. basically they're literally le leaping <laughs> yeah it, it it takes a level of courage to uh be creative in environments and I, whether it's parkour or any other creative practice that these guys are doing right in in their situation it it's courageous to um be resist and through creativity and nonviolence. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a beautiful picture of them saying, Hey, we're still here and we can, we matter and our voices matter. Absolutely. Um, but we're going to approach it in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Um, what is it about parkour? What, why parkour for them? It seems like something that's kind of brand newish almost. Yeah. I, you know, their experience or how what they shared was that they saw it on the internet and or through a movie and were just immediately inspired by the moves and actually Sammy the coach uh taught himself he didn't even know it was called parkour he watched videos on YouTube in slow motion and taught himself um the moves on rooftops of Jerusalem which is pretty amazing and then later he found out that it was called parkour and 
kind of got plugged into the community and stuff like that. But I think, you know, they live in an environment where walls, 30-foot-tall concrete walls and military checkpoints are a part of daily life. Right. Um, freedom of movement is always in question, and I think they feel that pressure. I think they feel confined. And parkour is a way for them to express the freedom that they want. And I think it's really is just like a very large release. Um, the sport of parkour is about seeing obstacles in a new way and approaching them with creativity. And so there's just this profound image of them using the very walls that were meant to confine them as fuel for this mm. expression of freedom of movement. So running and jumping off of the separation barrier that was built to keep you confined is just an amazing picture of turning something on its head and using it for your own freedom. Yeah, yeah. That's that's really that's profound, especially around the 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 aspect of freedom. And you know, you mentioned this kind of uh, literal movement of of this, these walls are there, and you see them, um, and it seems like there's something like, like something better on the other side, or something, or just to break down these kind of walls. Um, is there any type of specific freedoms? What other freedoms are these are these uh, young men looking for? Um. From my observation and in talking to both them and their parents and just the community at large, it seems like the general um, hope is just for freedom of self-determination. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I, I think they feel hopeless. A lot of them feel hopeless about their futures, about future generations, and just to be able to make decisions about their own lives. and. I think they also are looking for the freedom to define their own self-worth. Um, they live in, in an environment where they're seen as an ID, like what kind of ID that they hold. Right. And I, I, it's dehumanizing. So I think in a lot of ways they're looking for the freedom to say, I am an individual. My worth is more than just an ID or it's more than just a nationality. Um, and... I would like the freedom to express that and explore that and show it to the world. So that's Modern Manhood for this week. Thanks again to Malka Rowley for spending some time with us talking about his movie, Hurdle. You can find the trailer for Hurdle and the website for the movie through the show notes, so please check it out. It looks like an awesome, awesome movie. All episodes of Modern Manhood can be found on modernmanhood.org and broadcasting on gradio.ca. Modern Manhood is supported by Next Gen Men and the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATV. Also supported um, by you. Buy some merch. Send me a tag. It's it's an awesome combination. On the next Modern Manhood, we're taking part two. We're going to talk a little bit more with Michael about his journey uh, to filmmaking and what it means for him to be a man living in Dallas, Texas, and in America in general. So stay tuned for that. And see you next time on Modern Manhood.